Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to my podcast. Uh, this week's guest, it's another big one. Uh, at least for me and hopefully for you. I, uh, I, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, there's a handful of actors that made the impact that this gentleman uh, did. Kevin Klein is my guest this week on the podcast. Um, and whether you're talking about his collaborations with Lawrence Kasdan... Um, in such varied work as Silverado and the Grand, and Grand Canyon and The Big Chill and I Love You to Death, um, or you know his film debut in Sophie's Choice or his Oscar-winning amazing performance in A Fish Called Wanda, Soap Dish, uh, the list goes on and on. Um, nobody but nobody makes it look as easy uh, and as fun as Kevin Klein and uh, able to negotiate drama and comedy equally well. So. Um, this was a huge. This was a huge one for me, and um, it was it was a delight. Kevin Klein spent uh, a good, you know, basically an hour hanging out at my office, uh, swapping stories before and after the podcast. Um, it's uh, this one's a real treat, and if you're a Kevin Klein fan, I know you'll appreciate it. And if you're not, um, hopefully this will get you looking at some of his amazing work uh, because it is well worth your time. Yes, those are authentic honks and horns of New York City behind me. I can't fake that. Um, the films that Kevin Klein uh, was and is promoting uh, are two, actually. He has got two smaller films out. Uh, one is called My Old Lady, starring uh, two amazing actors, Kristen Scott Thomas and Maggie Smith, alongside of him. Basically a three-character piece set in Paris. Uh, and The Last of Robin Hood, which is a truly fascinating uh, true story about the last days of Errol Flynn, who was a notorious alcoholic and womanizer, a dastardly fellow to say the least, um, and uh, Klein plays uh, him in his, uh, in his last days, uh, one last affair uh, with a young lady pa- played by uh, Dakota Fanning. Susan Sarandon also stars in that one. So two films uh, worth checking out if you're a Kevin Klein fan. Uh, as always, guys, uh, hit me up on Twitter, Joshua Horowitz. Use the hashtag HappySadConfused. Let me know who you want to hear. Let me know what you're digging. And, um, and as always, I, I will just say if you guys have a second, please do. Uh, go to iTunes and just hit the review uh, button, um, jot out a few words, or um, even just rate it. Um, it really helps uh, get this podcast listened to by more people uh, and would mean a great deal to me. So thanks in advance for that. Uh, in return for that kindness, I give you this, uh, the great Kevin Klein. Uh, enjoy, guys. I'm going to play the part of the Grand Inquisitor today, Mr. Kevin Klein. Very is... good. I'll be... Um... <laughs> Ivan Karamazov. <laughs> Actually, could you play Kevin Klein for the purposes of my podcast today? Ooh, he's there is no Kevin Klein. Oh wow, we we went deep right at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> this is. Uh, well, I will. I will enact the role of an authentic human being <laughs> for the next thirty minutes or so. I, I will create a, a, a an illu- the illusion of authenticity. You seem authentic sitting here, like an actual normal human being acting. <laughs> Um, this is uh, this podcast is is a great pleasure of mine for if for no other reason that I get to sit down with people that I've long admired. We've never spoken before, sir. But uh, I, I couldn't be more excited to have you here in my strange office. You're a New Yorker. You're in Times Square. I apologize for Times Square inflicting that upon you. It used to be so. It used to have such character, didn't it? D- it did. And now, how would you like describe it? Now there are Elmos everywhere. There are. It's a, it's a little. Um, what's the word? Overdecorated. Um, That's charitable. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> but if you it's need to not, go to a, not not what you'd call nuanced no. uh, architecture. But if you want to get some um, food at Bubba Gump afterwards with me, we can we can we can get some, a, some what some food at Bubba Gump. Bubba Gump. Yeah, Bubba. Is that a, is that a chain? You never had the Bubba Gump. I've. I have the huge gump? gaps in my <laughs> gastronomic experience. <laughs> You're not missing anything, sir. No, okay. It doesn't sound terribly appetizing. <laughs> it, as good as it sounds, it's it worse. It sounds like something you get in your <laughs> I have a little gump in my stomach. Got the case of the gumps. Yes. Um, you have not one but two uh, pleasurable films that I've just seen in the last day or two, sir, to talk about. I want to talk about a lot of things, those films, but also... Um, you know, being that you are a New Yorker and I, I grew up in the city, whenever I have somebody on that that is an authentic New Yorker that obviously embraces the town, I want to revel in that for a moment because we're a different breed, I like to think. Are you a New Yorker? Born and bred. Wow. Yeah. Where? We're, what neighborhood? I grew up on the Upper West Side. The oh, mean. I always like to I say the mean, the mean streets of uh, the Upper West Side, West <laughs> 70th Street. Oh, okay. Pretty I, rough. I lived on West 70th uh, when I was at Juilliard. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So was that... Just to bring the conversation back to me. <laughs> You, for the record, you asked me a question. I know, but isn't it funny how I just... Yeah, it you, just you got bored so quickly. I live there. <laughs> yes. Was that your first um, encounter in New York when you uh, came to Juilliard? Had you been before? I had. Uh, I came once or twice on, on short visits. Um, I was at Indiana University studying music, supposedly. Uh, and then I switched over... Um, to the theater department, and suddenly I, I realized there was a lot of theater I should see. So a bunch of us got in a car and drove up here to see Hair, which one, which was a, an event. Definitely. Um, and you know those you know, occasional outings like that. And also people graduated before me from college, and right. you know fellow thespians, and I'd come and visit them. And was was it, was Juilliard? What was the atmosphere at Juilliard then? Was it a, was it a competitive, nurturing uh, environment back then, or was it something cutthroat or Go on. <laughs> it was of all of those. It okay. was. It was. Um, uh, well, you know, I I would rather have an opening night on Broadway with all of the critics there, which they never are on opening night right. anymore, but they used to be. And rather than have to get up in front of a, a a class of actors who are going to sit in judgment while I do a scene, <laughs> that yeah, it was pretty competitive. And, um, and then after. You know, a couple of years at, at Juilliard. Then I was with the same people for four years following that in right. the acting company. So there's a bit of um, too much knowledge, and the, the 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 worst thing you could say to an actor when you're having a, uh, an argument with him, fellow actor in that company, was, and that's the problem with your acting. You know, if, if whatever it started with, like, you're always the last person to get on the bus. Why do you keep us all waiting? Right. You know, you're so blah, 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 blah. And that's the problem with oh. your acting. <laughs> that's the actor's that's, equivalent of the ultimate. That's the epithet, coup de grace. The That's the, <laughs> yeah. That's the finger in the face from an actor to an actor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so was a. Uh, no, but it, but it was also very nurturing and, yeah. and, and a wonderful you could say, in retrospect, a safe haven wherein one could practice right. um, and be pushed to stretch in you know, various ways. What was the intent out of Juilliard to, because uh, you know, it's, it's well known that the, the first part of your career was in the theater. It took a, you know, a mm -hmm. little while before you made the entry into films. Was that from lack of opportunity? Was that just prioritizing one thing over another? Was that... 
we, I was in the first graduating class, and John Houseman, who ran the school, um, decided to have a, a mini repertory season. So we did four or five plays in rep um, and invited some critics and all of his theater friends. And the New York Times gave us this wonderful review, and then Houseman had the idea against his better judgment, he said, I'm going to form you into a, a repertory company, my seventh, which is the last thing I need at my age. <laughs> but, and so we were all handed equity cards and sent out on the road. And um, so I spent four years doing that. It's, it was such a, I mean, yes, we paid our dues. We you know, were paid very little and lived on a bus practically and, uh, but, and saw the world. I mean, toured across sure. uh, and up and down the country. It doing a, an array of classical and modern plays um, in repertory. F fantastic uh, experience that very few American actors are, are afforded. Um, so that was, that was grand. But, but he, and his point was, he said, I just don't want you to all have to take all this training and then go out to Los Angeles and do television. Right. And then, of course, he won an Oscar and then was appearing as a guest on just about every television right. show. <laughs> the very thing he was trying to protect us did from. Literally everything that yeah. you were not supposed everything to do. Everything we were told not to do, he did for us. But he did it with a, well, we a profound out. voice and uh, yes, gravitas. Did. Yes, he did. And we were out, you know, sort of um, doing the classics in the right. hinterlands. So was it was it a frustrating time? Because, I mean, you know, you're, you've got the skills, I would think. By then, you've got probably the the for lack of a better word, hubris at that time, probably you think that you can conquer <laughs> the world, and yet you're probably seeing opportunities go by in film when you're like, yes. that's where I want to get to. Yes, I actually had an agent who said, well, please, when are you going to come back and actually you know, have a career? You're, you're not available. I can't. I, no, this is, don't you understand? This is, this is art. This is great. This is wonderful training. And this is, I'm doing great roles in great um, you know, plays from the Western canon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you know, yeah, but Young and the Restless is looking for something right now. Yeah, <laughs> and actually, there's a, you're, you know, well, so anyway. And it was true that after those four years, I had to kind of yeah. go back to square one because um, we would have little mini, you know, three or four week right. seasons in New York, but then we just would disappear for nine months. And, and flash forward, I know a, n a number of years, but um, uh, Sophie's Choice obviously was your, your film debut. Um, mm -hmm. uh, now, Merrill. Actually, I, just, I, I was just telling you before we started today that I got to do this, this press conference uh, for this movie, The Giver. Meryl w was there, and I know you're going to be working with her again. In October, yeah. Which is crazy. Is this going to be the first time since no. Sophie's no, we, Choice? Okay. It's, uh, well, we've done some theater, certainly, sure. since Sophie's Choice. Um, what, Mother Courage and uh, The Seagull. And, but we did uh, Bob Altman's last film, of course, The Prairie Home Companion. Companion. Now, I think I had one line with Meryl. Um, different different plot but we were there we were there in a movie together was was she a force of nature back back then too what was what was the the aura of Merrill back in round 82 indescribably um, vivid powerful the, she was the most self-assured confident assertive without ever losing her humanity or femininity. Uh, she just, she knew what she wanted to do. 
she always had ideas. We would finish a day's work, and then we'd she'd say, you know, I have an idea about tomorrow. What do you think of blah, 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 blah? And I went, yeah, it's a great idea. We would go to watch the dailies together, and um, I gave her a few notes. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, in fact, I remember one day after dailies, I said, it's, it's a real privilege to sit here and watch what is going to win you an Oscar or something, something really show busy like that. Mm-hmm. But I was right. <laughs> no, it was just extraordinary to, to watch her work. Yeah. And she was also very generous to me and to Peter McNichol. Um, she would just whisper little things, in, certainly in my ear, saying, just, just say it, <laughs> when I was making a meal out of some right. speech, you know. Um, is that something inherited from, from the theater? Is that something, or is that still ner- I think nerves for the first time on a film set? Both. Yeah. Both. And also playing a character who was, well, theatrical in right. a way, who was play acting of sorts. That's, that's my defense <laughs> <laughs> against uh, some uh, gross overacting. I don't think anyone's criticizing your performance at Sophie's Choice at this point. Uh, Do you feel that the, the ship has sailed? Is, is <laughs> they know what's the point. <laughs> the, um, Live with it. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie's Choice is many things. I wouldn't uh, call it a, a, a light comedy, which is something that you, for my money, I mean, uh, you know, uh, this is going to like make me sound like a, an old man or a young man and make you hate me. But like growing up, you, you, your, your films as, as a leading man in, in comedy, you were unparalleled. You, you owned the screen and had such a, and made it look so effortless. Did you feel that comedy came especially naturally to you? Yes. I've always felt um, very um, at home doing comedy. Um, it's, f- it's fun being in a comedy. It's fu- Sophie's Choice was fun, believe it or not. Really? Oh, so much fun. Not in the way you would describe fun, uh, or many people would describe describe fun, but fun in the sense of stimulating, challenging, um, exciting, um, working on that material with those people. It was um, fun. Uh, terrible letdown when it was open. Uh, when, it was, when it was open. Hmm. Yes, when it, <laughs> when <laughs> when it was it over. When it on Broadway after? Yeah, when it, when it, was, <laughs> 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 when it was open. Yes, well, that was a letdown too, I suppose. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you, you, you make this baby and then you, and it's not yours anymore. Suddenly it's the world's and you send it out there into the world and they will make it of, of it what they will. But uh, no, it, it was, yeah, it was, there was a real crash after it was over because it was my first film and what an experience. Um, but as I say, Meryl was, was, was helpful and ins- inspirational. Yeah. The, uh. I mean, segueing into into the the two films that are that are going to be coming out very soon. Um, I mean, I would think, like Merrill, um, when a script comes, I don't know if Maggie or Kristen Scott Thomas, for instance, were attached, but Maggie Smith. I mean, it's got to be such an opportunity that you don't want to say no to. Oh uh, no, exactly. No, I was actually attached four years ago. It seems like, um, and uh, went through many readings with Israel Horovitz as he hammered away at, at, at turning up his play, which was tremendously successful. He had just, I think when we started working on it, he had, he had just returned from Moscow, where the Moscow Art Theater was doing it. And in fact, 
just recently, I didn't realize this, that he first got the idea of expanding it into a play as he was watching the Moscow Art Theater production of his play, where he said the woman who played the old lady looked like an, um, an aging Elvis Presley. <laughs> um, and she kept leaving the station, coming back with a different costume. And he, and he didn't understand a word, but he'd seen the play in you know, at least a dozen languages uh, previously. But he found himself musing about uh, what was missing, which was Paris. It all takes place, the play takes place in one room right. in, in an apartment. So he wanted to open it up and then, um, personally, I think he just said he got that inspiration because he wanted to drop the name Moscow Art Theater right. where his play was <laughs> playing. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, me and Chekhov, and those, they do all our stuff. All the Horowitz and Horowitzes are very pretentious. We all are. I apologize. Not at all. <laughs> perfectly understandable. I would be dropping the name. I actually visited the Moscow Art Theater. Um, and that was my brush with Stanislavski. Um, I actually saw the, the bed that Stanislavski died in. That was interesting. Um, not a big bed. No, goo, small very, man. Very modest. Oh. His apartment, though, was, I mean, he had a theater in his in his home, like an IMAX theater, little, like a home, like uh, it was that his version <laughs> of the home entertainment center. But it was it was like a small European opera house. Is that true? He literally had people that so he could pr stage performances in his own. I don't know what he did with it. I mean, it could go down another uh, road. But Who knows? I, I, I don't remember reading about that. But I was like, wow! Oh, this is his little theater. Nice. Yeah. Is um, it, it, you it get to do many things in the film, including uh, playing um, slightly inebriated. Is that a challenge as an actor? Not when you're working in France, because <laughs> they serve wine with lunch. <laughs> Your method that way. No, the challenge is <laughs> playing sober <laughs> <laughs> after lunch. No, I'm kidding. Of course, um, I guess it's always um, a challenge to do a, a, a what we call a convincing drunk um, but especially in this piece which is so oddly um, mixing comedy and drama yeah the tone is, 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 is was very elusive on the page and it was only in the doing of it that we that we found the tone but there was you know some experimentation along the way so you could play a comic drunk. Actually, there was, there's the, the one scene that's in the movie uh, that we'd done a couple takes. He said, try falling down in this take. Okay, so I, I fell off the seat, and that's the take. And I, that's, a, that's a bit... It, it, during a very dramatic right. moment, at least in my head, I'm saying something very m profound, I think, <laughs> in this drunken stupor. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, you've never, you've never, you've always been an actor. That's, uh, I mean, I think of some of the more notable comedic performances, and I wouldn't count this one necessarily as a comedic performance, as you say. There's, there's yeah, a lot I, more going on. I don't on. know. Well, it, it, but I think it could be. I mean, well, I, I don't. It all depends. How, I, I don't know that I haven't, I haven't it, seen or, it yeah. with with an audience. I don't know what they're. I mean, I, I saw a little screening of a, of an early cut of the film and. People who hadn't seen it were laughing. Yeah. Um, but in, in the doing of you, you, one didn't. You never know, yeah. especially when you're trying different things and you don't know which take is going to be used. It's, it's always a 
interesting I, discovery. I, I guess what, when I think though to certain of my of of your performances that are among my favorites, I, I th in the comedic realm, I think of you going not being afraid, frankly, to go big at times. I mean, you think mm, of yeah. Otto smelling his armpits. Yes, that's was that in the script? Is no. That <laughs> no, I did it one day, and John, please said, I like that. Do that some more. We'll put do some more of those. I, I it was that was another film that. Um, well, I mean, the tone was not it was pretty. Not not so elusive. It was a farce, but um, uh, in terms of the character, I, there was there was complexity there. Yeah. And I kept saying to John, I said, "Who, who is this guy? Because he, he was just so stupid and so <laughs> weird, and 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 he just wanted just encouraged me to just be silly. Right. So I could. I remember the seat, the scene where. I'm, we're about to make love, and I pull her boots off. He said, "Smell her boot." Okay, so I smell her boot, and then I realize, oh, it's inflatable. So then suddenly I'm inflating her boot, and then smelling my armpit, and somehow that his own body odor seemed to give him. <laughs> it, to me, it was the the ultimate uh, narcissistic, um, just primitive sort of um, self. To, to inspire yourself right. to do great deeds of am amorous um, lovemaking, whatever, I mean, of amorous lovemaking, and, and not to mention uh, redundancy. <laughs> uh, it's one step away, though, from beating his chest with raw meat. Like, uh, he's, he's pretty primitive. He's yeah. a pro-magnon man. Yeah. Originally, we were going to do the, the, the sex scene. Um, we talked about he, he was actually at, at one of those gym, one of those things, <laughs> doing his weightlifting while she's straddling him and and, and um, but we always agreed that uh, that his orgasm he should look like a complete idiot <laughs> <laughs> that his true his the essence came out essence in that of moment. Otto was in that <laughs> moment of surrender or bliss or whatever you want to call he's it kind of like the, as I'm as we're talking as you describe him he's, he's like the proto Will Ferrell character Will Ferrell's built his career on these 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 pompous idiots mm. <laughs> that's kind of what Otto was in a way oh yes <laughs> yeah oh, oh very full of himself oh completely completely misguided and completely confident I I, <laughs> I, I kind of miss the time where I don't know in our politically correct society today if you could get away with a uh, performance that mocked, or, or I mean, he's an idiot, so he's the one being mocked. But a uh, man stuttering, for instance, could, well, it was very funny because to, to there, kill me. Oh, they were they were picketing <laughs> at the premiere. Is that right? Oh yes, there was a coalition of, of stutterers who thought that stutterers were being depicted um, in a negative light. <laughs> to which Cleese remarked once privately, he said, "I don't understand why there aren't stupid people um, picketing." Because we put stupid people in, in a very bad light in the film. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he was referring to me, my character. They're not good They're at both. organizing, though, and making signs. Uh, <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they were trying to. But <laughs> they were trying to work. Wait a minute, now we've got the sign, but where do we put the stick on it to hold it up? I don't know what you think. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> no, it was, it, it was a very small coalition, right. and, we, and we wrote letters of apology and never mentioned the fact that Michael Palin's father was a stutterer. Um, so he was, you know, Michael doing a brilliant, 
brilliant stuttering, and of course my character makes fun of him, um, which isn't very nice. But uh, the other thing, Cleese said, no one seems to worry about the fact that um, we're killing, a, we're trying to kill this old lady. <laughs> you know, <laughs> many attempts, and we're killing all her dogs, and you're getting run over by a steamroller, and everyone's fine with that. <laughs> But make fun of the poor stutterers. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, two other roles, if you'll indulge me, sir. Uh, I think uh, a criminally un underappreciated film and performance is I Love You to Death, which is one of your oh, many you. collaborations with Lawrence Kasdan, obviously. Yes. Which is, is a film notable uh, for me. Like, it, it seems like everybody in that film was going for it, was really making like big choices from Bill Hurt to Keanu Reeves, to, to River. Uh, Tracy Ullman, in a way, is almost like the straight woman she's in it. She's subdued, yeah, because Tracy, <laughs> no one can be as, as outrageous exactly. as Tracy. Exactly, ironically, yeah. She's in, the, in, the, in, the, in that mode, but no, she was very um, very grounded in that. Was, uh, and again, your, even your accent in that, I don't know if, if the Italian-American uh, lobby appreciated it or not, I, uh, I still adore it. Well, originally, I, 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 I thought, Oh, he's Italian American, and then I found uh, an interview with the real. It's based on a true story, right? <laughs> as outrageous as it is, it's it, of course it's not the first time that um, art has imitated life and seemed just too bizarre <laughs> to be real. But um, this happened, and he was not. He was from Bari, in the southern part of of uh, Italy, and had an Italian accent, and um, and that helped me. Hmm. Once, once I decided I'm not going to do, you know, this kind of goomba thing. Um, uh, I'll do this Italian accent, and I found it, uh, and it, it sounded, you know, as close as I could to him. Um, I met him actually after the film had come out. I was doing a play off Broadway, and he came backstage and uh, he said, "You want to feel my head? You, I still got the the, the bullet; it's still there in my skull. You could feel." And I felt him. And Oh, that's interesting. Amazing. Yeah. Also, the b perhaps the best line reading of one oh, of the small moments I love is just uh, your pants falling down and you just feebly saying, oopsie daisy. <laughs> oh, yeah. When he's completely <laughs> he's, yeah, he's stoned on, <laughs> they're trying to kill him. and He's like Rasputin. He won't, uh, exactly. it just gives him a little kind of woozy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it holds up. Pretty funny. Oh, that's good to hear. Pretty yeah. amazing. Um, and what I feel like we're doing this is your life, Kevin Klein. I apologize, but you're indulging my childhood uh, uh, obsessions with your films. I, I was 15 years old when I skipped school for about six months, and I saw Soap Dish. I think about 20 times in the theater. Wow. I literally knew it by heart. Probably still do. Were, did you ever? So you skipped. You didn't have to ever endure the life of a soap actor. You never. Did yes. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And a, and a dinner theater actor. That scene where I'm doing Willie Loman sure. in a dinner theater, I, that's what, uh, I guess it's the first time you see Loman. him. Yeah, like don't call me, stop calling me Mr. Loman or whatever. <laughs> and then when Robert Downey Jr. comes backstage and, you know, and he does the whole, oh, no, you were here tonight. Oh, no, oh, no, no. You, no, you saw the wrong performance. Uh, you know. They were terrible, <laughs> referring to the audience. I mean, there's so many. Actor is there any jokes, lower wonderful depth actor jokes. Than, than dinner theater? Is that is that pretty much the pits as an actor? Uh, it's it's really um, well. I wouldn't want to do Death of a Salesman in a dinner theater. I actually did Star Spangled Girl in a dinner theater in Staten Island, 
um, when I first arrived in New York. The hotbed of dinner theater in the world, arguably. It could well have been, <laughs> but the audience, the clinking of silverware and, and crystal and, and talking during the play, I guess it was good preparation for, for Broadway <laughs> with cell phones and old people saying, what did he say? <laughs> I don't know. Do you find audiences are getting worse? Or would the, uh, the amount oh. of devices that they can now call upon if they get bored uh, for five seconds? That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's uh, distracting. When I was, the last thing I did on Broadway, Cyrano de Bergerac, I was dying uh, and, and doing my big dying speech, and then I'd fall into the arms of uh, Jennifer Garner, and then the, the, the curtain comes down. And she said, did you hear that lady in the third row? I didn't hear because I was orating. But uh, she said, did you hear what she was saying? I said, no, I didn't hear a thing when the, when the curtain finally came. She said, she, her phone rang. She answered it and said, yeah, it's almost over. I'll be there in about 10 minutes. It's, Kevin Klein is on the ground. He's dying. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he, he'll, he's, he's practically dead. And so I'll, I'll be there, you know, I'm, you're right around the corner. So hang on, and this is all during my, <laughs> I missed the whole thing. Thankfully you were in the zone, you were. I, I was in my, yeah, I was in my death throes. <laughs> Otherwise I would have certainly commented. <laughs> in character or would you break character? Uh, no, I would, have, I would have said it in character. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> you, um, the, the other film I want to mention, which I, I very much enjoyed, is, is The Last of Robin Hood, which features you and, and great performances oh, from you. Dakota and Dakota Fanning um, and Susan Sarandon, of course. Um, this is the latest in a long string of, of swashbucklers that you've, you've done in your career, though this is not his finest hour, certainly. No, his, his, his swashbuckling days were long over. Um, no, he, he was a complete wreck. So this is, I mean, this is a fascinating story, which I, I, maybe I'd heard peripherally, but certainly not. I mean, it, clearly in the, back in the day, it was the scandal of its time. Um, and he was a none-too-subtle uh, cad about town, safe yeah. to say. Well, to me, one of the great outrageous ironies is that less, I think, fewer than 15 years earlier, he had just barely been acquitted for a double statutory rape <sighs> rap. And he was front page. That was the big scandal. I mean, World War II was relegated to the third and fourth page, but this was front page news for the weeks and weeks and weeks. But he was so outrageous. I mean, his second wife, I believe, was working at the concession stand. She was 17 at the time, I believe, and working at the concession stand at the courthouse where he was on trial for statutory rape. <laughs> Shameless and man. He, <laughs> and he talks about it in his uh, autobiography, My Wicked, Wicked Ways, how he looked over the counter and saw her legs. He was obsessed. Well, he was obsessed with many things about women, but particularly legs. And um, I think he waited till she turned 18, and then she got pregnant, and then they got married. Um, and then they had another child. But um, how did we get on? Oh, he was, yes, he, he, he would... He, he, he lived by his own rules. I think he was a very loyal friend. Um, and according to David Niven, he said, who shared a house with him, he said, he was more fun than all of my friends in Hollywood put together. 
and told stories about how I mean, he was a prankster, a jokester, and, and he, he, completely unpredictable. Yeah. He loved to shock people. And um, you'd think he was a kind of a party animal, but in fact, when, when he, if he had a day off from a film, he was, when he was down, to, down on his boat, loved his, loved his sailing, loved his <laughs> adventures at sea. There's, of course, the, the, uh, on the other side, the, I mean, famously fictionalized in my favorite year. That was based yes. on him, wasn't it? Peter, yes. who obviously had his own wild days, famously. Uh, yes. Good <laughs> casting. <laughs> okay. But that line, it, it's funny, it's, you know, you read all these biographies of these famous, illustrious movie stars or whatever, and I found this when I, when I played um, Cole Porter in the film To Lovely. You, the more biographies you read, the more contradictory sure. evidence, and you just try to find some corroborating. Like, like if four people said this, right. even though one of them placed it at this moment in time in this geographical location. Uh, but for instance, the line in uh, my favorite year when O'Toole says he walks into the ladies' room, she says, "This is," for, and he's already got his um, thing ready for his elimination at a urinal. And the woman says, this is for women. And he said, well, so is this. <laughs> but occasionally I have to let water run through it. But they gave that line to, I mean, of course, Barrymore was a great, great pal of uh, Flynn's. Um, and and you never they never mentioned Flynn, but it's clearly, right. I mean, he's an amalgam of all those outrageous kind of, um, but, but I, I'm not an actor, I'm a movie star. Exactly. Is, is is the note in in the film is that is that moment where he's on your character's on stage and he literally doesn't know his lines is reading off cue cards is that that, that, that seems that's out of soap dish literally that's, it I is mean. but that ha he was um, yeah he that he took the his, the his he he was doing theater he, his friend Huntington Hartford had, had was asked him to do this uh, adaptation of Jane Eyre which he had done um, and Errol did it in his film career was really in terrible uh, shape. I mean, he, he was only playing old drunken roues in, and um, uh, just shooting morphine and drinking one or two quarts of vodka a day um, and living it up. Um, but um, yeah, he apparently did that play and he left it. He quit after a couple of weeks. Is the breakdown right now? I mean, obviously, you know, you mentioned Cyrano. That was the last time you were on stage, which is which is a, a few mm. years ago. Is that mm -hmm. is that something that? How does theater develop for you? Is it just sort of like an itch where you say, okay, next year seems like the right time to go back, and I'll look for the best available project, or is it more of a project comes to you and? It's much much more random. Yeah, it's it, if a project comes to me, you go, ooh, yes, Cyrano. God, yeah, I've always wanted to play Cyrano. Yeah, let's do that. Um, that actually had happened a year earlier. I'd met with David Laveau, the, the director, and he said, he said, I'd love to do something with you, and what parts have you always wanted to play? And I said, well, I've, since high school, I've always wanted to play Cyrano. We read it in, in English in high school, and I loved it. And, um, and then I guess I'd seen the movie, um, but it had always been on my list. Yeah. Roles to play, and then uh, and then kind of went away, and then suddenly I got a call from Laveau saying there's a theater has just become available in October. This was in August. Shall we do it? And I said, okay. 
and that you know Cyrano never shuts up. He's it's a long, loquacious part, and so I started learning my lines that as soon as I hung up the phone. You mentioned Cyrano. Um, I mean, you've also played Lear. I mean, these are these are these are these are yeah. high on the list for any actor to like knock off that list. Okay, I'm going to get through those quintessential right. roles. Right. Do you still have some that are scratching at you? I find myself, uh, there, there were some on the list that I've just crossed off as... Um, they're less interesting now, or they're... Uh, yeah, maybe having done Lear, mm -hmm. um, which is a, a, a cursed and cursing <laughs> role. I, I remember friends telling me that, um, some English actors, that, oh, we have to go, um, we have to go see our friend who's doing King Lear, and, you know, it's, it's a career ender for many actors. Once they've done it, there's just nothing... They just don't want to act anymore, either because it's a dismal failure or <laughs> Interesting. Um, it's, well, I've done, that's the pinnacle. What do I do now? Well, if you're English, you just do another layer. Um, but um, Lithgow's doing it now. Lithgow's doing uh, yeah. I'm hoping to see it in the next few days. Um, no, th there are these, yeah, they're, they're kind of signposts along the road of this if you're going to call yourself a serious actor, this is what you take on. Um, the fact is I could do Lear a couple more times, um, although it, I really think, he, I mean, you don't have the stamina. Everybody said, well, you know, he, he says, um, you know, four score and upwards. I said, and Olivier famously said, uh, it's, it's a young man's part. Right. Gilgood played Lear, his third Lear, the third Lear he had done was at age 45. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Schofield did it in his early 40s, and Peter Book directed it, and they made a film of it. Um, you can't carry Ophelia if you're 80. Or <laughs> <years old. laughs> you can for a few seconds, and then it's not well, going to go well. Olivier had her on cables when they did the television Lear in his <laughs> 80s. I think he was in his 80s or damn near. Um, and the stamina required yeah. is tremendous. Um, actors have done it at it, it, you know, greatly advanced ages. So, But it is a, it's probably the, well, many people say it's the greatest play ever written or some of the greatest literature ever written. It's different than when you're you're putting on a show. It's like, yes, it's great, but now how do we make it work right. as theater? That's that's a whole different set of problems. Is uh, Are you happy with the kind of material you get in terms of film right now? No. That's, uh, to answer your question, how do, why do I go back to the theater? That's where the, still the best well, roles are. Well, I, I started there. I was spoiled by doing great plays. And... Um, Once you've had a taste of that, it, it, and if you enjoy it, you, you want to do more. So I've returned to the theater almost exclusively to do plays with poetic diction, right. elevated texts, or whatever you want to call them. Um, Shakespeare, Chekhov is, well, at the time, was considered quite naturalistic, but I think now it's considered classical. Uh, but... Um, you don't get writing like that in, in, in films. And, and I was uh, really foolish in the early part of my career by bringing the same criteria to bear 
while reading a film script as I would a Chekhov play or a right. Shakespeare. Gee, this is so inferior. I mean, there's not one line here that gave me goosebumps when I said it, you know, right. or when I read it. Um, and I lear- so I learned eventually to that it's a whole other animal, and um, it's not about great language. There's not a lot of poetic diction in even brilliant. Well, there is in a way. But not what you'd call poetic diction. I, mean, I was going to say when there's brilliant dialogue, sure, great, great dialogue is great dialogue, whatever the medium. Um, and I've been fortunate to have some, some great dialogue. Do, do you feel much connection though, like when you see, like what's playing at the multiplex now? Because it is, you know, I mean, it's 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 not breaking news to say that it is eighty percent comic book movies and the the rare R-rated raunchy comedy and a musical here and there. It's 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 an odd blend. What Hollywood has become is is a is an odd assemblage. The, the, the industry is it has become more industrial, uh, and it's you know the whole thing. Oh, it's run by businessmen, and the bottom line is everything. And you know, I've talked to a couple of studio heads years ago who said, you know, I have we have to do the big blockbusters in order to be able to right produce the the things that we care about deeply. Um, Seems like they forgot the second part of that. Now, <laughs> well. Uh, no, because the whole independent movement now, right. they, they don't have to worry about those scripts. They said, we, we just don't bother now. We need, you know, we'll make a $100 million or $200 million movie because it'll make a half a billion or a couple of billion or whatever. And those those indie people, um, which you know, there's no no budget, you know, there's no time, there's certainly no pay. Right. It's, it's more like a hobby um, for an actor. Uh, so what happened to the? W- weren't they going to overpay me <laughs> splendidly uh, for doing what I love to do? No, w- w- where are those days? <laughs> that ended with Wild Wild West. That was that trailer. Uh, yeah, <laughs> catering must have been nice on that one. Uh, well, which caterer? I mean, you could go to the sushi bar, or you could have the French. Uh, yeah, they, no, no, they, they, it was a regular catering. It was catering was very good. Is there enough perspective on not an object? Is there enough perspective on that one to have a laugh about that film, or did it? Or was it painful at the time? It was. Uh, well, I did a very stupid thing. I said I've never done this kind of movie, so I'm going to suspend my normal uh, criteria or taste. So, you know, well, this is this. I'll just you go know, with what's green trusting them. Here. Yes. And I said, okay, now this big spider, <laughs> the, the leg is going to come right down in front of you and Will, and then t- say something funny. And <laughs> <laughs> about halfway through, Barry would he would he would trust us uh, occasionally to just do something funny or say something <laughs> funny. Oh, um, uh, and my point was that I, well, all right, this. Okay, we we got it. We're moving on. I thought, oh, gee, it seems like it could have been better. Just we could have acted it better. We could have been funnier, perhaps. It, or could have been logical. It could have. <laughs> what if it's like made sense? But all these things that I. But I just no 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 no. It's it's a different. This is a different. Logic thing. It doesn't matter when they're giant spiders. <laughs> but then, uh, then I went to the premiere and <laughs> it was. 
Uh, it was the first time I'd seen it. It oh, was no. sort of interesting uh, because I thought, no, you were right. <laughs> you, that, that wasn't funny. <laughs> it felt not funny when you did it, and it's nobody's laughing. Apparently, so everything can't be fixed in post. That everything that taste your that no, everything <laughs> can't be fixed in post. And and, and look, it, it's. Many, many, and the movie made a fortune. Um, it was a, a, like a, a disappointing three hundred million dollar <laughs> first weekend because it, they were expecting you know, half a billion, but uh, it still made a, a chunk of money uh, worldwide. And um, and also, I, I someone just recently pointed out, you know, that's one of the early um, movies uh, to have steampunk. It's true, yeah, yeah. And I said, what, what, and then of course I said, what is steampunk? <laughs> and then I said, yeah, I guess you'd say, yeah. So it, it was perhaps ahead of its time, um, or in the vanguard of what is now a completely steampunk. Um, <laughs> I guess those, uh, those Sherlock Holmes things that Downey has been that doing, well. that's steampunk, yes, isn't it? Yes, fair to say. Um, but we were there first. I don't know, there's probably been steampunk for years. We just didn't have a name for it. <laughs> but you didn't have uh, Kenneth Branagh showing the scenery and, and giant spiders. Yes. <laughs> on that delicate note, I wish you um, a disappointing $300 million gross on both Last of Robin Hood and my Thank old you. lady. Uh, no, two, two fine pieces of work, and I, I'm so, <clears throat> so pleased that it, it brought you into the uh, insanity that it is Times Square. I, yeah, it's my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> That's called acting. <laughs> I love it down here. It's, it's just vibrating, teeming with life. And <laughs> We're going to go get into our Spider-Man and Elmo costumes now and make some extra money. Yes, but don't, we can't be too pushy, though. That's, that's right. <laughs> We're gentle, gentle. Just open, just open our hands. If you feel so inclined. Give, give as much as you feel. <laughs> Next time you pose with Elmo, look closely. That could be Kevin Klein. Uh, yes. <laughs> I've worked with Elmo. <laughs> What's he like? Oh, charming. I worked. I did Sesame Street a couple times, and then I did a movie uh, directed by Frank Oz. In and out, of course. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a real pleasure, sir. Thanks for your time. Pleasure,